really a joy for me to come today, having gotten to know many of you over the last uh, year or so. Um, I come with a little fear and trepidation. Your pastor does a wonderful job from the pulpit, and I'm sure that there are many who appreciate his ministry. Um, his series on the Psalms have uh, lifted Pam and me up, as well as I've heard comments from, from elders and other members of the church. And I'm sure that you appreciate what a wonderful servant you have in, in Joseph Wheat. So it's a joy to be here to share in God's world, word on uh, this Lord's Day as well as this holiday, uh, July the 4th. So let's turn our attention, please, to the Word of God as it is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I wanted to to preach on something that would be appropriate to the 4th of July, and so I've chosen this theme of courage. And, and Bob's prayer reminded us this morning of the various ways in which we face crises today and the notion of being courageous, having heart, being of good cheer, is an absolute necessity. Let us give attention to the reading of God's Word. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. At one period during the Middle Ages, the leadership of the Western world, both in the church and the state, was so bad that some of the titles that were given to kings and popes had terms like the stammerer, the simple, the bald. But of all the titles that I think that is, comes from church history, the one that most stirs my heart is the title uh, Richard the Lionhearted, Richard the Lionhearted, Richard the Courageous, 
And how many of us have, have looked at that film, Braveheart, in order to see what it is to have courage and for the Scottish people to rise up under the leadership of, uh, of Braveheart? And so therefore, when we think about courage, I think we realize that many people have given great thought to what courage is. The Greeks thought about it to end, uh, to all ends, and, and, and Plato uh, said that, that courage is one of the four major virtues. There's wisdom, there's courage, temperance, and justice. The head should rule the body through the chest, and the chest is where the heart is. The chest is where the moral feelings lie. And so therefore, Plato said that, that we can know what courage is and we can do what courage demands us if we simply seek it with our minds. And therefore, we can govern our passions. Thucydides, the, the great Greek orator, says, Fix your eyes on the greatness of Athens as you have it before you day by day. Fall in love with her. And when you feel her great, remember that this greatness was won by men with courage with knowledge of their duty, and with a sense of honor in action. You can't read words like that without being stirred. It might have been written by someone who was not a believer, but courage is one of those virtues that, that unbelievers as well seek for. But it is especially a Christian virtue. We need to recover that today. Once upon a time, the Western world had a story. Imagine that you lived in the Middle Ages. Your world was permeated with Christian imagery. You marked the days by the sound of the church bells and the weeks and the months according to the liturgical calendar. You lived in Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. It wasn't football season. It wasn't Advent. Your role models were the saints whose feast days were regular reminders of a drama greater than yourself. But you don't live in the Middle Ages, says this writer. You live in the postmodern era. For hundreds of years, our culture has been losing its story. In the postmodern era, all we have left is our small stories. It's not Pentecost. It's time for spring training. Our role models are movie stars. And the biggest taste of transcendence is the opening of the ski season. Our best expressions are on the level of have a nice day. So therefore, we, we, when we read this passage of Scripture from the book of Joshua, we realize that Joshua knew himself to be part of a great story. He was following in the footsteps of a person who had led, led the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. He knew that he had a large responsibility in front of him, but he knew he was part of a, of a great story. He knew that in order to take part in that story, he would have to have to be a person of heart. And so therefore, this passage of Scripture speaks directly to who Joshua was, what his task was, and it offers us an opportunity to think about this courage. God's commission to Joshua draws attention to the fact that this is not the first time that Joshua had heard this. If you turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is bookended by a charge to Joshua. In chapter 1 of uh, Deuteronomy, uh, we are told that Moses is to go to Joshua and encourage him. 
At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is told, go to Joshua and encourage him so that he may fill the position of leadership. And so therefore, the whole story here has had a prelude to it. Joshua has already been schooled by Moses in courage. And we only have to read uh, the books of Exodus and Numbers to see that Moses was a person of courage. And so therefore, Joshua had in front of him a person who was a model of courage. And therefore now, God says to Joshua, what does he say? Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. It's almost as if the land is conquered and they haven't even gone there yet. The the borders of what would describe the kingdom of David are described here. It's almost as if the land has been filled and therefore is placed before Joshua. This is an accomplished task but you must be courageous. This is not going to be something that just happens. This is going to be the result of leadership. This is going to come from from people who will stand before my people and be courageous. Now, we have to ask ourselves, first off, where is this courage? What is courage itself? And here, Plato had insight into what courage was. Remember, Plato says it's in the heart, it's in the chest. The head should rule the passions through the chest, through the moral feelings. And you only have to turn to Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, and we find out what courage is. Rahab tells the Israelite spies, As soon as we heard of your coming, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in anyone because of you. Courage is a matter of the heart. Courage resides within that heart that God has given to us that that we might know our duty and do it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39, Those therefore this day and lay it to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath there is no other. If you know that God is in heaven and there is no other God and he is your God, you can do what he calls you to do. You can be the kind of person that he wants you to be. And so therefore, Joshua has been schooled in this. Moses has been his model. And now he has to step to the plate. The people of Israel have just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of cowardice. Because they didn't have the heart. They sent out the spies. The spies came back with a good report. And and what did they say? The the land is indeed fruitful. Uh, There is much to be gained here. But the people are too big. There's too many of them. We don't stand a chance. And so because of lack of courage, because of cowardice, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But now new leadership will emerge Moses' time in leadership is over, and now Joshua is called to do what he is called to do. I want to look, first of all, at various examples of courage before I finish with the passage that we've just begun. For courage is something that, once we have seen it now, it's, it's been in Moses, 
It's being instilled in Joshua, being called in Joshua. What do we see in the rest of Scripture about this virtue of courage? And what does courage enable us to do? It's a far more diverse virtue than we might first have thought. In, in fact, there are several things, kinds of things that courage enables us to do. First of all, courage enables us to stand out from the crowd when standing out from the crowd is the right thing to do. Now, this is the kind of virtue that we can even teach among our children. You will remember, for example, after Jesus was crucified, that Joseph of Arimathea in Mark chapter 16 goes before Pilate. Everybody's deserted Jesus. The disciples have left. Only a few women are left uh, taking care of, of being in his presence. And so therefore, Joseph of Arimathea, a leading member of the Sanhedrin, departs from the crowd, goes to Pilate, and says he took courage and he asked for the body. He stood out from the crowd. The jury that had found Jesus guilty, now he goes and asks for the body of this crucified man. This is something that we can teach our children, isn't it? An example from our own family, uh, when our oldest son was six years old, uh, he would take his uh, lunch to school each day. And, and Pam began the habit of taking a piece of paper and writing something, a little note to Drew. And uh, he would take his little Hulk lunch pail, and uh, he, would, he would go to, to school, and he would open it up, and, and there's his lunch, but he takes this note out. Well, you can imagine what the kids in the lunch table, they want to know what's written on that piece of paper. They're curious. And uh, what... Pam had written that day is, is uh, Jesus loves you and we do too. Well, he had to read it to the kids. And you can imagine how he felt at that, um, probably standing out here. So he, he came home to Pam the next day and said, uh, why, why are you putting notes in my lunch pail? I said, well, and Pam said, well, uh, I want you to know that we love you and I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Andrew said, well, well, the kids made me read it. I had to tell them that Jesus loves me. And Pam said, well, you've got to take Jesus to school, too. So he thought about that. And I'm not always sure I get this story right. Every time I tell the story, I have to look at Pam. But uh, as I remember, she was in the basement folding the laundry. Now, basement is those subterranean passages in the houses in the north. <laughs> All right, well, she was, she was in the basement folding laundry that day, and Drew was at the top of the steps. And he said, I don't want notes anymore. And he took the note that Pam had written and tore it up. Well, obviously, Pam was heartbroken at that. But um, the next morning, he, he came to Pam, and he said, you know, I, I do have to take Jesus to school with me. And if it means that I have to say that I'm one of his... I have to do that. So to standing out from the crowd, standing up for Jesus, taking Jesus to school with you, taking Jesus to work with you is something that will take courage in some instances. So therefore, that's one of the roles of courage, to stand out, to stand out for what is right, to stand out for the people that we love, to stand out for the Savior that we love. 
But that's not the only use of courage in the Scriptures. There's, there's also, and this is a, perhaps a, a much overlooked one, is that we need courage when we're ill. There are two instances when Jesus heals. In Matthew chapter 9, he heals the uh, woman with a hemorrhage, and he heals uh, the, the, a person who is uh, also sick at the time. And before he performs the miracle, he says to them, take courage. And that gets us thinking about what is it that we need when we are sick. We need a will to get through it. We need a spirit that will be in tune with a, a healing body. And so therefore, uh, it does take heart to get better. And, and when, you, when someone in, that you know, a member of your family, or a, I've seen it here in the community, when we have our prayer time at our Sunday school class and, and people are, are praying for those who are ill, and people go and visit people in the hospital. Now, why do they do that? to cheer them up, to give them heart, to strengthen them in spirit so that as their body gets well, there is an inner strength that comes also because of the work of courage. And of course, in addition to needing courage when we're sick, think of the courage to face our death. I once asked a pastor, what are the greatest joys in the pastorate and what are the most difficult things that you do in the pastorate? And he said, well, oddly enough, there's one thing that answers both of those. He says, when I go in to minister, when there is death in a family, and there is hope and faith and strength of will because they know and believe in the resurrection, there is no greater joy in a sense, of ministering to those situations where there is heart, where there is hope. And he says there's nothing worse than going into a home where there is simply sadness, when there is no hope and there is no great faith in the resurrection. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, Verse 8, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. If your heart is right with God, you will not fear death. You will know that death is simply a transition point. And so therefore, we, we have heart. Uh, we, when, we faith Ill, when we have illness, when we face death, there is always tension. There is bound to be because there, there is an unknown element to that. But a true heart of courage helps one to get better. And we visit people in the hospital. We send meals in in order to give people heart in the midst of their sickness. And then finally, in courage, we see that Courage is also needed simply for the matters of everyday life. Perhaps this is one also slips under the radar for us. We're reading here about Joshua, and we know that Joshua is going to stand in front of the people of Israel. He's going to be a very high-profile figure, and we know that, that, that kings, for example, and other rulers are called upon to, to stand before people and be leaders. And we use the word courage uh, what comes to your mind? And I know what first comes to my mind is that they stand before 
the, the battle lines and they want to encourage the people and so therefore the, the, the king is to lead his armies in battle. But that's not the everyday life of the king. The everyday life of the king is to bear rule, to make sure that his kingdom is filled with justice, to make sure that his reign is known by its impartiality, to make sure that what he does and the actions that he takes benefits his people. And so therefore, he has to administer justice on a daily basis. When we think of courage in a king, I, I suppose the person that most comes to mind is David. And when David passed the throne on to Solomon, there's an account of what he wanted Solomon to do. And it's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And notice that in this passage, he doesn't say, I want you to be strong in front of the army. I want you to lead them into battle. No, this is what David says to Solomon. 1 Chronicles 22, verses 12 and 13. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you shall prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's the life of the king a leader who is known for righteousness, a le leader who is known for impartiality, a, a leader who is known for establishing a reign where people can live freely and live under the themes of justice. So therefore, on your everyday life, what are the decisions that you have to make? What are the stands that you have to take? It's, it's, courage is an everyday matter of life. If you're in school, it means that you have the courage to keep your eyes on your own paper. If you're in business, you will hold to your word uh, in contract negotiations, even if it's not to your advantage, because you've given your word. If you are raising a family, then you are, you're raising children who, who know what is right and wrong. To use Pam again as, as an example, she's my great example in this. Uh, when we used to watch television as a family back in the good old days of Cosby and family ties and things like that, uh, there would be things that would come on that, that wouldn't be right. And, and Pam inevitably would say, now, that's not right. And the guys would roll their eyes, you know, we don't need to be told this again. But it's something that is reinforced. So as you, you watch TV as a family, have the courage to, to point out and to, to, to strengthen the moral ties that you want to see continued in your family. And so courage is a matter for all of us, young or old, husband or wife, children or parents. But then this last part of the passage that in which Joshua is being charged, here is where the term comes in for courage. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Those were almost the same words, weren't they, that I just read that David repeated to Solomon. But it's a very important part here because we have to ask, again, how do we know what the courageous thing is? How do we know what is right to do? And, and, and Joshua is told that here. Be strong and courageous. 
remembering the words that Moses, my servant, commanded you, don't turn from the right or the left. I, I was raised on a farm. Uh, my grandfather was a tenant farmer on the eastern shore of Maryland. And when my dad was overseas for the Second World War, uh, my mother took us back to the farm, and I lived on the farm for the first four years of my life. And one of the first pictures that was taken of me is I'm being held on the haunches of a huge draft horse. My grandfather would plow with his draft horse, and they, they put me on top of this horse for my first picture of a horseback ride. And I've often thought about that. My grandfather plowed the field, had a horse. Well, when you harness a horse up to the plow, it's very important that you have a harness. It's very important that you've got a plow. But one of the things that perhaps we don't think about is that there's something that you put on the horse's head. You put on the horse's head a bridle that has blinders on either side. If you look at a horse, a horse's eyes are set on the side of its head. They can see what is behind them without turning too far. And so you put these blinders on a horse so that as you are plowing, that horse looks straight ahead. A farmer was known by how straight his furrow was. A farmer was proud of the fact that his field was straightly plowed. And that's what Joshua is being told here. Walk in the straight furrows of life. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. But go according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord will tell you what furrow you're walking in. The word of the Lord will determine the path of your life. And, and notice what the Lord says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful doing according to all that is written in it. This notion of the term that is used for meditate there is the same term that is used for, for a cow who chews the cud. A, a cow has several stomachs and will regurgitate the food and, and choose the cud. And, and so, therefore, the idea here is, is that meditating upon the Word of God is something that takes reflection. It takes time. You chew on the Word, and, and it becomes part of you. And that's what Joshua is told here. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. There's no better verse in the Bible to tell us what prosperity is. There's no better verse in the Bible to tell us what success is. It's not measured in terms of money. It's not measured in terms of possession. It's not measured in terms of prestige. It's, it's measured in terms of faithful and loving obedience to the Word of God, walking a straight furrow. Now, that assumes, of course, that we love the Word of God. That assumes that we see the law of God as something that we love to perform. You see, the unbeliever, when they hear the Word of God, they, they think the law of God is like a straitjacket, and, and that restricts my freedom. Uh, but when we have a proper view of the law, we realize that the law is not meant to restrict our freedom so that we do as we please, but the law is meant to point us in a way that is right and good. God did not forbid adultery so that husband and wife couldn't enjoy a little pleasure. He forbade adultery to, to, to preserve marriage. And so therefore, we don't look upon the commandment not to commit adultery as, as something binding us at all. We, we see it as a, a description of, of what the faithful life of marriage is. The problem today is 
that courage has been reinvented. As I read from this little selection from the sacred romance, um, we live in the postmodern world. What is courage today? Well, the courage is being constantly redefined. Courage is being redefined according to models that are not in any way keeping with the scriptures. Uh, we, are, we are told, for example, that, that congressmen and, and uh, those in legislature are, are courageous if they, if they take certain stands, for example, uh, in, in favor of, of, of homosexuality. We're told that's a courageous stand. We're, we're told that Congress has been courageous when it supports art that, that is, is blatantly decadent. Perhaps one of the biggest examples I've seen of this is uh, a notice that came out several years ago when the Netherlands approved uh, euthanasia. Now, euthanasia had been practiced for many years in Netherlands. But uh, in, several years ago, the, the, the Netherlands passed, the Dutch government voted to legalize euthanasia, giving government sanction to a practice that had quietly been tolerated. The 46 to 28 vote of the Dutch Senate makes the Netherlands the first country to officially permit euthanasia. And this is what the health minister said. I hope that other governments will find the courage to follow suit. Their courage is being redefined. Courage is no longer being defined by uh, the, the value of life, but uh, it, in terms of uh, making death easy. C.S. Lewis, in the 50s, he was absolutely astounded that in England... Theologians and pastors who denied more and more of the faith were promoted in church government. That people were saying, I honestly don't believe in the resurrection anymore. They got promoted to bishop. It was the whole notion of, I have the courage to stand up against the resurrection. I have courage to stand up against the deity of Christ. I have courage to say, I don't believe what the church used to believe. And so we find ourselves today in, in strange times, don't we? And we have to listen carefully when somebody says, have courage, have strength of will, have conviction, get your heart right. And that's why what is told to Joshua here is so important. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God enjoins all of us to be courageous. On October the 16th, 1555, during the reign of Bloody Mary in England, there were a number of executions that took place. And perhaps one of the most famous executions that took place were of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Latimer was the Bishop of Worcester, and Ridley was the Bishop of London. And they were standing up strongly for Puritan beliefs and they were taken to the stake, and they were tied, and they had their back to one another. And uh, as the flames were being lit, uh, uh, Latimer says one of the great lines of church history, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light such a candle in England as I trust shall never be put out. Be of good cheer. Play the man. Have heart. Be courageous. We are all part of the great story, not just Joshua. We are all part of God's transcendent story. And so therefore, as we 
come to the Lord's table today, we are reminded by the verse in Hebrews that we are to reflect on Jesus who courageously faced the cross. We are reminded that he is our champion. If there is no other example in history of courage, we certainly find it in the cross. That Jesus, though he was the very Son of God, took upon himself our human existence in order that he might be glorified through the going of the cross, taking upon himself the sin of his people. And it is that that we remember here this day. So it's fitting that on the 4th of July, when we think about courage, when we think about those who preceded us, when we think about our own revolution and what it took to get us through it, we also remember the greatest of all events, the death of our Savior. And we are to be courageous as he was. Let us pray. Our Father, we are so thankful when your word is direct, when your word is unequivocally clear, and when you say things that have no ambiguity to them. And certainly we have here in this text to Joshua something that rings true in our hearts and minds. We thank you for Moses, but we thank you that he was followed by someone who was as courageous and strong as he was. We pray that as we find our role in the great story of life, as we see ourselves fulfilling your will in our lives, that you would help us to be courageous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.